Evan Lazar alongside me, Alex Barth, as always, Patriots Beat Live on this Friday evening. Alex and I have just recently gotten back from Patriots OTAs on Friday, so we're going to talk all about what we saw, Cam Newton's injury on down to every single player on the roster we can possibly think of over the next hour. But before we do that, I'm just going to lean right into this, Alex. I am surprised that a verified media member would join me on the podcast today. I wasn't sure if you were going to show up. I thought maybe you had better things to do now that you have a blue check mark on your Twitter. Well, you know, I am uh, notable is, is, is what they say. Uh, nothing like artificial gratification. A website, a, a computer telling me that I actually matter more than other people is exactly <laughs> what I need to get myself through the day. So, uh, no, it's and, and, and I've joked about this with you before that. You know the la- the worst thing that could possibly happen to you if you didn't get verified, that was fine as long as I didn't get verified before you. Uh, <laughs> it is absolute BS that you didn't get uh, it, and uh, yeah, you're. I mean, you're, you're you broke more stuff than I have, so it's the the whole system's messed up. But yeah, I'm 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 a real boy now. So yeah, that's, that's you got big a time capital J blue check whatever all those like anti-media people complain about i guess i'm one of them now so we'll see how long it takes me to be pretentious i like to think it hasn't gone to my head yet but i think i'm disproving that point let's get to some football <laughs> well i i figured i'd just bring it up so that uh you don't have to take uh you know your own liberties to bring it up yourself so i i just leaned into that one but like i said alex and i were both out at otas today obviously the news of the day Cam Newton's injury to his throwing hand. Alex, this happened awfully quietly, awfully quickly. It wasn't like there was any big ow moment or, or anything like that. I don't uh, think anybody saw it happen. I don't yeah. remember so anybody it, saying definitively. Right. So it happened right after team drills. So uh, a lot of um, Mike Reese and some of the other reporters were saying that it happened during the drill where they were throwing those uh, blocking bags at the quarterbacks like they do to try to get them to bob and weave and stuff like that out of pressure. And one of them hit Cam Newton's hand on his follow through and bent his thumb backwards. And that was sort of the injury um, that took place for Cam Newton. And then he went over to the trainers and uh, spoke to the trainers for a good 10 minutes, I would say, you know, a solid amount of time looked uh, pretty disappointed uh, to say the least. And and pretty, uh, pretty heartbroken that the injury had happened. Then we saw Josh McDaniels run over to Bill Belichick to kind of tell him what was going on with Bill's working with the defense. And all of a sudden Cam is, is done for practice with the day uh, for the day. Uh, Karen Grigian of the Herald has already reported that there's nothing broken in, in Newton's hand. This is not a, there's no break, uh, which I think is good news, but it does with that type of area of the hand, uh, ligament damage is also a big concern right. along with a broken bone. I don't know. Break break never really occurred to me just the way he he was acting. Everybody else was acting. I, I mean, it, it, it's encouraging. It's nothing against, obviously, what, what, what Karen tweeted or anything. I just, right. um, you know, I was watching because we have, we have our binoculars out there, and I was really t- taking a close look at, at what he was doing, and he seemed to be, um, you know, in here, in this area, yeah. and then up here. So it seemed to be like the thumb and then maybe even towards the inside of the index finger. So I don't think I have a football up here sometimes i do um but i mean obviously you think about where you're gripping a football in that release point and where you're letting that ball go and that's a very crucial area now 
as, as Scott Zolak said when I was on Zolak and Bertrand uh, earlier today, it's not like he got a gash through his hand and threw for 500 yards in the Super Bowl, right? It's not going to be one of those, but that's that's a sensitive area. And he did seem to be in some pain at one point. He was, I mean, doubled over. He, you know, yeah. hands on his or, or elbows on his knees. He he was not enjoying that. So we'll see if it is because sometimes those things can be. And this is the thing, like it might not be something major, major where like he tore a ligament or anything, right? But right. sometimes those things can be, you, you can't really work around them. It just is what it is and you need to let it heal and they don't heal quickly. And in a, at a position in a year where the quarterback position is so competitive and every snap matters, I think this is something that at least has the potential to be a big deal. Now, maybe he ices it and he's fine tomorrow and we move on with our lives, but I, you know, this isn't something to just shrug off. This isn't something to say, oh, it's a little thumb sore, whatever. Uh, there, there might be something to this. It's, it's not open heart surgery, right? You know, that, that's what Bill right. Belichick would tell us. But at the same time, that webbing area is exactly the area that, that Tom Brady ripped up before that AFC championship game. It's a similar area of the throwing hand that seems to be the injury for Cam. And like you said, and kind of segueing this forward, because we're not doctors, we don't have the report yet of what exactly is up with Cam's hand. So I don't want to guess as to how severe the injury is but like you said this has a chance to have sort of a domino effect on the quarterback position for the Patriots where if Cam is let's say he's even has to sit out the rest of the spring practices in mini camp and we're not talking about him throwing again until uh, end of July at training camp that opens the door like it did at the end of practice today for Mac Jones and Jared Stidham to get a ton of snaps a ton of reps and kind of duke it out between the two of them and uh, today you got to tip the cap to Jared Stidham. He had the better day right. today than Mac Jones did, but Mac is also in his sixth practice in the NFL and Jared Stidham's in his third year in the NFL. So you kind of would expect that Stidham would look a little bit more comfortable, but the domino effect that this could potentially have at least next week's practice that we get to go to mandatory mini camp uh, the week after that, we could be seeing a whole lot of Stidham versus Mac for the next couple of weeks. Well, so one thought I had just to kind of deviate here for a second. There's, what is it, 10 OTA practices, right? And we get access to three of them. How heated is Bill Belichick (laughs) that of the the three of 10 practices, this is the one his quarterback gets hurt in. And then the flip side of that I was wondering is, what if Cam hurt his hand yesterday and we just showed up to practice and he wasn't throwing? What the the takes would have been? Because we wouldn't have known it was an injury. People might have guessed that. But we wouldn't have known it would have been absolutely ridiculous. So – Yeah, we'll see what he does. Again, it goes back to the location of the injury, I think, stands out more to me than the potential of what the injury could be itself. Because even if it's something like a sprained ankle, you know, he's not going to take full on dropbacks and stuff like that. But he can still kind of, if it's not a heavily sprained ankle, he can sort of do walkthroughs and things like that. He can't even pick up a football if it's if it's a semi-serious thumb injury. He can't even pick up and throw a ball. So that all goes right out the window. So Again, I I think that there could be implications here. And like you said, Stidham threw well. I don't think that, you know, some people are saying that he's reinserted himself into the starter competition. It's one practice. It was one practice. Like if he can come out and do that again and again and again, then we can talk about it. He had a starter type of day, certainly, absolutely. But, you know, he's got to do that a number of times before he inserts himself back into that conversation. But if Newton's not practicing, right, that's more throws. It's more throws for everybody, but it's more throws for Stidham. It's more throws for Jones, more throws for Stidham, more chances for these guys to get better and more chances for them to prove that they should be the starting quarterback of this team. 
Yeah, it's such a tough break for Cam because it happened in a fluke drill, right? It didn't happen. I saw some reports that maybe it was on his follow through that he landed on a helmet because that's pretty common. That but he, he wasn't by... near a helmet. Like, right. what was weird to me, it was so early in that drill, too. Yeah. I wonder, and I didn't, so I didn't see anything, but just the way that drill was going. And I, by the way, can we talk about that drill later independently? It was a very interesting drill. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I wonder if it was as simple as somebody threw him a ball to start the drill and he, you know, jammed his thumb trying to catch the ball. Yeah. That's kind of what my assumption was. Cause I saw the thing we're throwing on a helmet, but he wasn't, they weren't really throwing near anybody. In no, the it was just so the quarterbacks. I, I think it was one of those pads. And if it was them throwing the pads at them, like maybe, but again, those crazy. aren't, but to, to hurt your, like, and it's his inside right. thumb too. You think about where you hold the ball. Yeah. I just don't know how a pad would, I, that would have to be a really odd, it'd be like Brad Marshawn's goal last night. Just like every angle would happen. Yeah, it was, that's it, it does kind of feel like a, it was like a one in 1,000th chance that he was going to get injured in a, in a, drill like that right you know i right. mean it's, it's pretty crazy well it's funny because being a big deal I, I mean i'm watching him and mac play catch before practice and they're kind of whipping the ball at each other yeah and cam's making these one-handed catches yeah. max trying to get goofy with the catches and, and i remember thinking like i know you know these guys are are elite athletes but why are you screwing around trying to catch the ball you're gonna jam your finger i i had like i had that thought at the beginning of practice so We'll well, see, although like, Cam made some impressive one-handed catches before. Uh, he's got huge mitts. Like, he that's does, one yeah. thing. Remember last year, I forget which game it was, but he reached the ball over the goal line for a touchdown, and everybody was like, oh, that's a Belichick no-no. And then after the game, they asked Belichick about it, and Belichick said, well, have you seen Cam's hands? Like, this is a different right. – this is different from, the, like, J.J. Taylor reaching across the goal line with the ball in his hands. You know, Cam's got, got giant, giant 11-plus-inch hands, right? So th th these things are mixed. Although, at, at the combine, Evan, and maybe he's grown since then? Nine and seven eighths. I doubt it. I, I mean, can... according to mock draftable. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe his hands have grown, but let, let's talk about the other QBs. Yeah. Yeah. After Cam goes down with the injury, like I had said, it really opened the door for Jared Stidham and for Mac Jones. And uh, I thought let's start with Mac. Cause I think that that's more, the more interesting topic at the end of the day, from a long-term perspective, with Mac, I, everything that I see out of Mac is pretty typical of what you see with rookie quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks in the NFL, is that right now it kind of feels like he's a little trigger shy to, to really rip it down the field because he's not 100% trusting what he's seeing with his eyes down the field. And in the NFL, those passing lanes close a lot faster than they do in college. And, and this is a much more... Uh, quicker trigger finger that you have to have when somebody's open you got to anticipate that window and you got to let it rip right there's no time to waste you can't like kind of wait for Devonte smith to, to show himself open and then throw the football mac was a really good anticipatory thrower in college so i'm sure that he'll get a hang of it but right now we're seeing a lot of check downs into the flats from him a lot of short throws a lot of uh, just not a ton of actual downfield balls and i i think i could maybe count one throw that I can think of in the last two practices that we've seen that was over 10 yards in the air. You know, I mean, it just, he's just not really doing that right now. And I think you are seeing 
the mental side of it, I, I think he is a lot further along than a lot of rookie quarterbacks would be six practices in, but he's still trying to get that feel for an NFL passing window for an NFL coverage and where exactly those windows and timing is going to be for him. Yeah. I mean, he had a decent seam throw. I thought to Hunter Henry today. The other thing is you don't know, and this is with all, all drills. Like sometimes the player screws up and, and, and we think the player screwed up, but the reality is a coach told them to, you yeah. know, do something a certain way or whatever. It's like, Hey, try this. And, yeah, and it's up, difficult it's from our vantage point without the benefit of, of film review after the fact to really know if anybody was open, you know what right. I mean? Like we can sort of gauge it obviously, but when you're watching it live and you're watching it from a far angle, like we are, it's pretty difficult to say, Oh, Hunter Henry was open on that play and he missed them. You know what I mean? Like you right. really have to be able to have the benefit of the practice film after the fact to go through it all and see if he was actually missing open guys or if there was just really good coverage down the field and it forced him to check the ball down. Well, this it, it, the other element of it is most of the quarterbacks are checking down. Stidham had a yeah. nice throw over the middle to, to Jacoby Myers is probably the best yeah. throw of the day. Yeah, he had two, um, one to Zuber earlier on in practice and then right. one to Myers on the same exact route, yeah. So, yeah, they, they were heavy on the, like, 10, 15-yard in routes today. Yeah. I But, but like, besides that, I, I don't really don't remember Stidham throwing down the field. I don't remember Hoyer throwing down the field. He pretty much just checked down. So maybe that, like, maybe that was the purpose of the drill. I don't know. But, you know, it's not like... It, look, Mac didn't have the the epic day he had last week, right? Where everybody came away, whoa, oh my god! I he he looked like a rookie today. He did a promising rookie, but he looked like a rookie. Yeah. But I don't know, you know, he's checking down. So is everybody else. I don't know that that's you know. I, I don't think there was anything that was a red flag. Some people are going to turn no. the check down thing into a red flag. I I wouldn't go that far. No, and I think a lot of what we saw too. I can only go off of Stidham because he's the best kind of comp that we have for my time on the beat and my time watching training camp. But with Stidham early on, remember the big concern was that he was holding the ball in the pocket for eternity. Right. And Max not necessarily doing that, but with all young quarterbacks and new quarterbacks, even Cam, when he got in here last year, checking the football down and not having that trust to let it rip down the field is really something that's pretty common for, for pretty much every new quarterback in the system. So it doesn't shock me at all. The one thing at the beginning of practice that I thought was interesting outside of team drills was, did you notice that the very first 30, 40 minutes of uh, positional drills. It was uh, Mac Jones and Josh McDaniels together for a good portion of that time. It seemed like it was like a true one-on-one -on -one situation that Josh was kind of following Mac to each circuit uh, checkpoint of that drill that they were doing. Well, they, I mean, they had Mac doing his own drills at one point. Yeah. I did notice that. And it was, yeah. it was, it was Mac McDaniels. And I, I couldn't figure out who the other coach was. It's, a, it's Bo Hardegree, who's an offensive assistant for the Patriots. Now he's been a quarterback's coach okay. in his past stops. And, and now he's here technically as an assistant, but he's basically like the assistant quarterback's coach to McDaniels. Okay. So that makes sense. So, I, I mean, what the drill was, was basically they had Mac. You know, there was nobody else around. There's no linemen, there's no receivers, but he's taking snaps like he would from under center. And they would both just run at him yeah. from the other side of the line of scrimmage and random angles. And he had to figure out how to step up and move around them. And that's something, right, that people hyped up about Mac Jones coming yeah. into the draft was his pocket presence and his movement in the pocket. So that was that was an interesting drill to watch. But yeah, he seemed to get at least before Cam got hurt. After Cam got hurt, the dynamic kind of changed just because of how many quarterbacks they had. But uh, before Cam got hurt today, Mac kind of seemed to be having his own practice, his own individual coaching sessions, which I think is promising because 
that tells me that there there is a concentrated focus on this guy to get him ready sooner rather than later. Yeah, that they're not just going to let him move along at the speed he moves along, and they're not going to let him just kind of follow the pace of the rest of the team. They're they're going to put him on an accelerated path, and that's encouraging. Yeah, and then one of the drills that you mentioned was the the bob and weave drill around McDaniel's and, and Hardigree, and they were having him throw to they were calling out the throws right. So there was as right. soon as he got away from those guys, it was okay, you're now you're throwing left, now you're throwing right. And he had to make that split-second reaction in the moment. Then they moved on to the next part of uh, of his sort of one-on-one with McDaniels, if you want to call it that, and that was uh, throwing to running backs out of the backfield, specifically him and J.J. Taylor right. working a, a whole lot in unison. And he threw some – I mean, look, it was, it was basically against air, so I'm not going to overrate it, but he threw some really nice passes to J.J. Taylor in the corner of the end zone on some of those fades and uh, corner routes that he was running out of the uh, – backfield and they were working that right they were working those options and working those sight lines and McDaniels was really coaching Mac Jones up a whole lot and I just thought that was super interesting that McDaniels picked Jones at this stage to do that with wasn't like he was doing it with Cam who's supposed to be his starting quarterback right and Jared Stidham certainly wasn't getting those that type of preferential treatment at any point in the last three years so uh, definitely a, a a point of emphasis for Josh McDaniels today to work specifically with Mac and uh, work closely with Mac on things that they're obviously trying to work with Mac on. Uh, you mentioned the the Bob and Weave drill he was doing and taking snaps from under center. That was something he didn't do a ton at Alabama. So well, he, he wasn't really taking snaps. He was like crouched over, but he was already holding the ball. But yeah. 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 Traditional three step drop, tro- five step drop. Right. Of. Exactly. Which wasn't a ton that he's working so much out of shotgun and pistol at Alabama that the steps is a little bit different and how you get to those set points right. in the top of your drop is a little bit different. So they're definitely drilling some things like that. Let's talk about Stidham though. Cause he does deserve a conversation here after a day like he had today, uh, 13 of 14 with one drop being the lone incompletion. He was on target. He, he had a bunch of really nice throws down the field. He mentioned the two in, uh, in breakers, the dig routes to Myers and Zuber. He made a nice throw to Kendrick Bourne along the left sideline on a deep comeback route. And uh, he was fired up. You know, he, he seemed to be competitive. And I think that's my biggest takeaway was they were, we're a little bit concerned with the lack of competitiveness that he came into camp last year, right? Cam comes in, Stidham kind of took a back seat and was like willing to kind of give the job to Cam, right? And they wanted right. to see some fire. They wanted to see some competitiveness, a chip on his shoulder. And today it kind of seemed like he said, all right, you know, Cam's hurt. Uh, everybody's anointing the rookie, but you know, I, I'm still here, right? And there was a little bit of an element of that. Yeah, no, I, I he, it wasn't just that he was throwing the ball well. I mean, he was in command, there was a confidence there. And I, you know, I didn't get to see him last year. I wasn't a training camp, but I, you know, from all the reports, he didn't necessarily have that kind of command last year. No. So that's, that's certainly encouraging. And I said it before, I'll say it again. He had a starter like day today. If, if, if I just, if I had no concept of what had gone on in the past and I saw a practice today, I would tell you that guy can be a starting quarterback. Now that was one practice and it doesn't exist in a bubble, right? It exists in the context of his three-year career. So He's got to come out and do it again and then do it again and then do it again. And, you know, if we're two weeks into training camp and he's consistently performing like this, we can start having that conversation. So it it, it was certainly encouraging, but, you know, there's a lot of guys. I talked about this during the draft, right, when we talked about the different kinds of prospects. All these guys can make the throws. They can all make the throws. You don't get this far without being able to make the throws. It's, you know, 
do you make the throw one of every 10 times, three of every 10 times, five of every 10 times, nine of every 10 times. So we know Stidham has the raw talent to do it. Now it comes down to, okay, can you do it again and do it again and do it again and do it consistently without drop-offs in between? Yeah, I mean, that that's really what it boils down to. But I thought last week when we watched Stidham, it, it kind of was more of the same as what we saw in training camp last year, right? Just a guy that right. was kind of just fine with being there and not really pushing the the envelope and not really showing anything impressive or anything different about him. It just kind of more of the same Jared Stidham. I saw the same elongated release too that, that he's been work, supposedly working on. It doesn't really seem like it's tightening up all that much. And then today, this was Jared Stidham's best practice I've ever seen. Like going all the way back to his rookie training camp. This was the best practice I've ever seen Jared Stidham have. It was one June practice in shorts and, and and helmets with no pads, all of those caveats aside, right? The way he threw the football, the way the timing of the offense, the way he ran things, the command that he had on the field, the competitiveness that he showed, it was the best practice I've seen him have. So that's not nothing. It, it's, it's certainly still the Cam and Mac show as long as Cam is healthy, but I still think that Jared Stidham deserves at least a seat at the table after what I saw today in my mind that, next week and then into mini camp and then into training camp at the end of July, I'm going to be thinking, okay, let's not completely forget about Jared Stidham before this today. I had kind of completely forgotten about Jared Stidham. If if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he reminded us all of who, of, of, of his presence, I guess, to go off of what you said. He, uh, he needed a day like this. He needed a day like this early on to, to have a chance and get a closer look. and, And he had it. All right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball. We're going to talk about some wide receivers. I know they signed Marvin Hall. I see a bunch of you guys in the chat uh, talking about Hall. So we'll we'll be able to... uh get to that later on in the show. I want to take a second to shout out our sponsors at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 for 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. But I want to talk about the defense because early on, especially that first 11-on-11 period, absolutely dominated by the defense. The offense couldn't complete a pass. The quarterbacks were getting sacked left and right. Josh Uche, Winovich, Christian Barmore had a couple pressures in there as well. Uh, There was a lot of heat on the QB there without Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn, which I think definitely showed a lot today. And also you got to remember there's no pads, there's no contact. So the offensive linemen are kind of at a disadvantage. But the thing is, like, I don't disagree with you, but isn't the offense supposed to win the half speed periods, the non-contact periods? Isn't that how it always goes? The defense is supposed to kind of let up a little bit and let the offense complete a pass anyways, you know, unless they're really going live, which they weren't today that's supposed to happen. And Uche in particular was all over the quarterbacks. I mean, he was living in the backfield. And I think the one thing that I, I really kind of 
focused on was, okay, Kyle Van Noy was back out there today, right? And you got right. Van Noy, you got Uche, you got Winovich. Uh, you don't even have Matt Judon yet. He's not out at practice yet. Or Dante Hightower. Or Dante Hightower. This linebacker group is so much better than it was a year ago this time. It's it's night and day how much better this group is. And Uche looks like he's about to explode. And I would think uh, Kyle Duggar has looked good in the last two practices that I've seen as well. But Uche in particular looks like a guy that once they hone in on a role for him and they know exactly how to use his skill set, he is going to be a very, very effective player because he's a dynamite edge rusher right now. Yeah, they they were, I mean, every, they, they were just, the push was unreal. Yeah. From everybody up front. I mean, somebody stood out to me was Henry Anderson. I thought the way he was just exploding off the ball. I mean, he was he was in whoever he was facing on the offensive line. He was in their chest before they got out of their stance. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, again, it's early. I feel like we have to throw that caveat on everything we say today. It's very early. It's no pads. It's not even training camp. But yeah, I, I think that they invested a lot in the defensive front this offseason. They invested a lot. And you're kind of seeing why now you're seeing that. Okay. There's a potential here for this to really pay off and those investments to pan out. And that's exciting. Yeah. And it's exciting because we talk so much about the quarterbacks and rightfully so, because that's such a big storyline, but this defense quietly, Bill Belichick really worked a lot on this defense this off season, right? Was you it got, quiet? They made Matt Judon the highest paid defensive player. It, in felt team like it was quiet just because of what all, all the things that they did on offense, right? Like you draft a quarterback in the first round, you sign Henry and Janu and Aguilar and you bring all, all these people in. And I feel like it was, that was the narrative to me. Right? I guess I, I, they made Matt Judon the highest paid free agent of the class. I don't know how that right. No, I, I, I agree with you from a money standpoint and from a resources standpoint, drafting Barmore in the second round, you know, they, they made some really big moves uh, this offseason and it's all coming. It, it, you can see the pieces out there, even at these OTA practices of just how multiple they're going to be able to be and, and how explosive they are this year in the front seven compared to what they were a year ago. Bar presence out there, uh, certainly Uche and Winovich are big presences out there and like i said we're, we're still short some so this is going to be a serious like i think they have a really good chance i feel a lot better after these two ota practices about uh the honestly than anything i've seen out of the offense and maybe that's just the time of year and, and that's just sort well, of i don't think it is because it's 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 normally the other way around remember you know i obviously last year last year was a wash but you yeah. know, we walked away from OTAs that one year thinking Maurice Harris was the second yeah. coming, uh, you know, of, yeah. of, uh, of um, Sean Jackson. Sure. So like, I, yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, we, we're normally pumping the offense this time of year. I, I, I was very surprised that the defense had as, as dominant of a day as they did. Yeah. And uh, today uh, and all week, I guess, um, was a zone coverage heavy week. That was sort of the emphasis. Was uh, well, it's hard to play man when Gilmore and J.C. Jackson both aren't there. Right. Yeah, that's true. The defense focusing on zone. Uh, the offense focusing on going up against zone in terms of a passing game uh, standpoint. And what we saw was Duggar and Jalen Mills and some of the other safeties that were out there 
rotating a whole lot on the back end into different structures, right? Show two high, rotate one high, things like that. And that, that's really intriguing as well that they're, they were already doing some of these coverage rotations in the second week of OTAs, right? And, and that's, I think, a lot right. of experience back there, a lot of, uh, a lot of veterans already on the roster, even without Devin McCourty and Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson back there, they're still able to do some of these things uh, so early on. So this defense is this going to have a really big turnaround, maybe even bigger than the offense. And uh, that's exciting as well. Did you uh, watch a Quinn Norton kick at all? And then we can open it up to some of the other things that you saw. Uh, I just wanted to mention that because I had asked uh, Cam McCord yesterday, what do you guys look at when you scout kickers? Because I'm certainly not a, a kicker uh, aficionado by any means. And he kind of gave me a 300 word, 350 word response, which is really nice of him of how exactly they look at it. And this, he's got a, a good leg. I mean, he, he can, he can kick it pretty far from everything I hear. You hear that pop when he hits the ball is pretty darn loud. I mean, you can see that this kid's got some real power in his legs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was my big takeaway was it, it's kind of like in baseball, right? You Sometimes, you know, a guy has a good swing. You don't even need to see it. You yeah. just hear the way that the ball hits the bat. And with Norton, the ball just sounds different coming off his foot. It does. The, the only one that's somewhat similar is Shake Bailey. And we know, yeah. you know, his deal is like, I, you know, he, he was hitting from with, with range from 50 something yards. He's 15 something, 50 something yards out. He's hitting the security net behind the goalpost. It's like 10 or 15 yards behind the goalpost. So yeah. the leg is there, but we couldn't really tell if the kicks were going in or not from where we were sitting, but they were close. Yeah, they were. So, so that's, you know, if you can kick the ball 70 yards, it's great. If you can't get it between the goalposts more than 85% of the time, it really doesn't matter. So that's where we're at with this kid, but you know, tremendous leg. And it's the, you know, if they have an extra roster spot, they won't. But it, it, it's the kind of thing where if they had an extra roster spot, I'd say maybe they make him a kickoff specialist. Right. Just take some of the weight off Jake Bailey. Not that he can't do it, but this kid's going to get it through the end zone every single time. Uh, it's clear why they brought him in. It, 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 as strong of a leg as you'll find in the NFL. But, you know, as a field goal kicker, they've traditionally valued accuracy over power. They would rather yeah. a guy who will hit consistently from 40 in than occasionally from, you know, 55 in. So, it would be a massive departure from the norm. Then again, uncharacteristically aggressive, I guess, this whole offseason. But yeah. uh, it would be a massive departure from the norm. Uh, or, or Folk would have to really head off the rails for, for Norton to make the team over him, I think, at this point. It's funny because I remember Jay Bailey's rookie year. Bailey was in at OTAs, and uh, Ryan Allen wasn't there. Ryan right. Allen coming off of – almost a Super Bowl MVP type performance, like borderline. Like I know that that we say that kind of tongue in cheek, but he was extremely good in that Super Bowl, right? He and, was one of their most important players in that game. Him, yeah, Edelman, sure. Slater. Yeah, and, and we come into spring practices and this rookie is just absolutely booming kicks. Like we're just like, who the heck is this Jake Bailey, right? We know they drafted him, so you knew that they they liked him a whole lot, but he was he just had an absolute leg that he's like the punts are touching the clouds. It was like right. what everybody was writing, right? And the next week that we see them, Ryan Allen shows up, right? And is like, wait right. a second, like, oh crap, this kid can really kick. And I just wonder, Folk has not been at OTAs yet. And you wonder when you start hearing some of these things about Quinn Norton, at what point do you come in and 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 start competing? Because Quinn Norton, all the sort of 
things out there that I have read are that really, really strong leg, but didn't have great accuracy, right? Didn't have great control of the football. Right. He looked 72% like, in college. Career yeah, he looks like he can control the football to me. Like, I, I, again, I'm a layman when it comes to kicker, but it, it looks to me like he is not – I watched Justin Rowasser all last training camp hit the porter potties, right? Like I watched right. Nor, yeah. Nordine, like I said, we couldn't tell if Nordine's kicks went went in or not today just because of the angle we were at. Right. He was close. He he it was, he was close. Rowasser wasn't close. Sure. Yeah. They they liked Rowasser because he kicked in the cold. That was pretty much the beginning yeah. and the end of that scouting report. And Nordine, you know, through Michigan, he has as well. But again, the Rowasser had a big leg. There was something to that, but Nordine's on another level. I mean, th this is, you would have thought he was, it really looked like he was kicking off a tee. Yeah. And this isn't, it wasn't, by the way, you know, it's one thing if a guy does that against air, because if it's just you and the holder or you, the holder and the snapper, the trajectory really doesn't matter as long as you get it over the crossbar. But there was a field goal block team out there. And then yeah. you have to, you know, sometimes with long field goals, the reason teams don't attempt them isn't necessarily the kicker can't hit from that range. But to kick from that range, you have to use such a low trajectory that it's very likely the kick's going to get blocked, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. Nordine was hitting with ease from distances where you're normally 50-50 on the kick getting blocked because you have to kick with such a low arc. And he's popping this thing up from 50-something yards and getting it, to, getting it to the security net 15 yards behind the end zone. I mean, that's unreal. It's unbelievable. Kid's got a huge leg. And, and like I said, and like you said, you hear the football, like you hear that pop. And that right. was one thing that Accord said that for people that aren't expert kicker scouts or kicker and analysts, you can, if you can hear that pop, then that is how you know that the kicker has got some leg power. And, and Nordine just certainly has that. And he's a lot more accurate so far, at least in the two practices that we've seen, uh, than Rohrwasser ever was in, in camp last year. Uh, Alex, what, what are some of the things that stood out to you? I, I rattled off a couple there, but I want right. to know. Um, so uh, one was, and this is kind of a small thing, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. During the opening stretching. So we, we've known for a couple of years now, right? Matthew Slater doesn't stretch with the receivers. And a yeah. lot of the other special teams guys do. Slater stretches with the corners. Nate Ebner used to stretch with the safeties, right? Things like that. Um, uh, Cody Davis stretching with the safeties. Slater has been the one guy who has the okay from Belichick to do his own thing. Early on in practice today, Brandon King was with him. And a little bit later on, and King did spend some time with the linebackers, but Later on, King was doing his own drills that seemed to be designed for a special teams kick coverage kind of, you know, traits. So has he gotten, is, is he the second guy now who's gotten that hall pass from Belichick where he can do what he wants during practice? And then to take that a step further, and I'm, I'm really projecting from one practice here, but it was just interesting because it stood out. Matthew Slater's 35. He's entering the last year of his contract. There's going to need to be, you know, not just an heir apparent for his role on the field, but the leader of that special teams unit. And if Brandon King is kind of emerging as this guy who, you know, we talk about special teams specialists, Matthew Slater, he doesn't even 
you know, he should be listed as special teams on the roster. These other guys at least practice with the positions they're listed at. Slater never did that or hasn't done that in a long time. Even Bethel plays some corner. Right. I mean, it might be exactly. out of necessity at this point because they don't have a lot of corners in practice. But every training camp that Bethel's been on the roster, he's been out there playing some corner with like a fours, you know, threes and fours. And that right, exactly. And again, like Nate Ebner did it. I remember he was practicing with the safeties pretty until he left. So to see yeah. Brandon King go off to the side, I just thought that was a little interesting that, oh, he's, you know, got seemingly, and it's one practice. We'll see if he keeps getting it, but seemingly has the hall pass from Belichick. And is he the heir apparent to Matthew Slater? Uh, another thing that stood out to me, again, that, that quarterback drill I mentioned earlier, it's just very interesting to watch. And I don't remember seeing them do it. At least they haven't done it a ton in the past where, so the quarterback's facing one end zone, right? Like faking under center. There's no center, but he's faking under center, takes a five-step drop, turns around, does a 180 to face the other end zone, has to dodge a blocking pad, and then find, like, the, the coach is already downfield, the receiver. The coach is already downfield. Yeah. So he's got to turn around, pick up the blitz, find the receiver, and throw it when he hasn't seen that. And as the Patriots try to vary their offense more this year, field vision, eye discipline, all of that from the quarterback is going to be big. And I thought that was an excellent way to both work on and display field vision and, and eye discipline. So I just, I had a ton of fun watching that drill personally. It happened to be the one where Cam got hurt. He only did it once. And I think he would have been a really interesting guy to watch run it. Uh, Mac actually struggled a little bit. He, he put one ball at the ankles of the receiver. Stidham was okay. And I, I don't think anybody was great at it. I, I don't, I think they all kind of had their moments, but that's part of what makes it a fun drill. That, that's an incredibly, incredibly difficult, uh, you know, series of, of, of things to have to process. So, I, I don't know if you watched that one closely at all or whatever, yeah. but I had a ton of fun watching that. So whenever you watch drills uh, for the Patriots quarterbacks against air that are sort of these, like, I don't want to call them gimmicky, but you know what I'm trying to say? Type right, like there, there's no direct practical use for that drill. You're never going to do right. a 180 as a quarterback. You're not going to not see the receivers until you're ready to throw. It's, right. you know, manufactured. Right. And, and whenever Josh McDaniels runs those drills, Brian Hoyer is always great at them. Like he's just always great at them, right? These like weird quarterback drills where it just takes like a, a veteran that's just confident in his own trees. And even in that drill, Brian Hoyer was having some issues hitting the receiver on time, right? Hitting the right. receiver in stride. And granted, it was a coach and, and Hoyer got – but Daniel's – busted Hoyer's chops about about missing a couple of throws and Hoyer's like you see who I'm throwing to the guy's too slow you know I keep, I keep on uh, overthrowing him because he can't run underneath it uh, whenever Brian Hoyer struggles with one of those kind of like quarterback competition fun game type drills uh, that's how you always know that it's a tough one so uh, he, Tom Brady spoke about it Brian Hoyer used to beat him at practice in practice all the time at those kind of like accuracy type of like uh, you know fun gimmicky type of game drills that that McDaniels would do and uh, he, he's always one of those guys so yeah that that was an interesting one uh, did you notice uh, Ernie Adams back out at practice again today I couldn't tell if I saw him or not I heard oh, yeah. somebody say something and I, I tried to find him I couldn't find him I saw craft so ernie adams was there with the uh, the towel around his neck and his arms crossed staring into the you know into somebody's soul like he always is right you know it just it's just crazy to me that they hype this up as this huge retirement for ernie adams it's his last draft and maybe he is just there to sort of monitor and and advise and, and just kind of take a look at the landscape and give his opinion when asked of him and, and not really in his old 
full capacity that he used right. to be in. But he's, he's gonna not be going inside. Maybe like he's at practice, but he's not going inside and breaking down film for six hours after like he used right. to. Right. This is maybe like, I, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying like that's kind of what it seems. Right. Like. This is this is a mini retirement. Right. This is right. like a, you don't have to do all the grunt work that you always did for the last thirty years, forty this years. What, this is what Danny Ainge is going to do. Yeah, exactly. But you're still here. He's still there. Uh, he's still very much doing his thing and uh, and staring off with the sunglasses into the abyss. It's just it's just so funny to see that they hype up this huge retirement. They let him take Trey Nixon in the seventh round, and then here's Ernie Adams just back out at practice the first the first time that we get to see practice in the uh, off season program, and he's back right out there. Um, you want to talk? Well, it's it's funny, just real quick. It's funny that you mentioned like the stance, right? Because Ernie always stands in the same way. Yeah. Matt Patricia has it down to a T. Does he have watch a stance? Matt Patricia? He died. Oh, it's the same one. It's oh, it's the God. arms folded, and Belichick does it too. It's the kind of lean forward, lean back thing that, like, you yeah. see it. It's it's how every uh, every training camp montage starts on the Super Bowl DVDs. They show Belichick, and he he stands there, he crosses his arms, he kind of leans forward, leans back, leans forward again, like. It, 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 You'd know what it was if you'd seen it. Uh, that seems to be like the demeanor uh, for the coaches, but it seems like Matt Patricia has it down. Oh, so I, th- I thought that was funny. It's just so funny. Like they, this, the whole retirement thing for Ernie is just obviously uh, fake or just not, he's not really retired. He's just kind of like, there's some sort of, you know, chess and checkers thing in here. Yeah. Because when Dante Scarnecchia retired the first time or retired the second time, he retired. Like he was not. No, because didn't didn't he like advise he them scouting. on he did Michael some and Winter or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did some scouting for them. He went to the combine last uh last year or the last time there was a combine. Right. So uh, that's not that's not being that's not being retired. Was, it's like already going to practice. Right, but but he wasn't like out at practice doing drills and, 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 you know, working closely. And the first time he retired, they, they had a, you know, Dave, I can't say his name, Goobs. Uh, he was out there, right. You know, and he was the actual offensive line coach. And now Carmen Brasillo and Cole Popovich are the co-offensive line coaches. So yeah, maybe Skarnecki is in, in the uh, background scouting guys in the draft and getting there, getting their opinion. Hey, like, here's some Michael on one tape. Like just, can you just watch it and, and give your take on, on if this guy's worth drafting or not type of thing. But uh, Ernie's still a little bit more involved in that. You know, he's still in Foxborough right. and he's still at these, uh, at these practices. So it, I thought that was fascinating that he's just still here. Um, well, I talked about Marvin Holler. Is there anything else from training camp today or OTAs today that you thought? Um, Adrian Colbert at the play of the day, I thought defensively. I did two play of the days. I really could. I was torn. Uh, yeah. I say Zuber made a nice diving catch offensively, yeah. but defensively. And I wanted to talk about him actually last week. We didn't get to Adrian Colbert, who they signed kind of late, like two, three weeks ago now, safety. They may, they may have something here. I don't know that he's, you know, a starting safety or anything like that. Like, going to replace Devin McCourty, but he he plays the way they like their safeties to play. They need somebody who can play deep. They have all these box safeties. They need somebody who can play deep with McCourty. He has experience playing deep, but he's still a very physical guy, hard hitter. Uh, I I think they might've found something here. I'm excited to see him in camp and it's tough to really tell now before we get into pads and all of that. But uh, you know, just using that as a jumping off point, he didn't have that one play today. And I'm like, this guy's got it. Look at that one play. Like, that's not what I'm doing. It's just, you know, he had the play, and I'll just use that as an excuse to say, I, I, I like the signing. I like the player. I think he's, he's he's an interesting guy to watch. You know, if it's if it's between him and Joshua Bledsoe, right, the sixth-round pick for the last safety spot, there's a, there's a competition there. 
you know, something like that. If it's between, uh, you know, him and, and maybe Jalen Mills having to play deep versus in the box, I think he's a guy that they can feel comfortable putting back there and allow Mills or Duggar or whoever to play in the box. So uh, I'm excited about him. Just, you know, player I'm excited about. Made a nice play today. Happy for him. Yeah, Colbert's a nice player. I think Jalen Mills has felt fit right in too. Uh, I was a little bit wary of the Jalen Mills signing, to to be honest. I just didn't really think he had the best career in Philadelphia, and I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to use him. But his versatility and the way that he can be interchangeable on the back end, whether it's playing in the box or playing deep safety, playing over the slide, uh, we've seen him play maybe a little bit on the outside, but not a ton. But just the fact that he has basically the ability to play any spot in the secondary is always something that I think attracts Bill Belichick and they'll figure out the best way to use him to make sure he doesn't get burned too often. Like he did in Philly on those double moves and playing outside corner and things like that. So I, I think that he, him and Colbert both were solid signings in the back end there to just add some depth. Cause last year, remember they're playing John Jones, they're playing Jason McCourty, you know, they're playing guys basically right. out of position to, to get another safety on the field. And that this year they have a couple of guys that are veterans that, that can play the safety position uh, more naturally, more natural safety fits for them. Uh, Marvin Hall, uh, he was out at practice today. He was the number 14. I'm sure some people saw the pictures. Really good speed at a University of Washington, uh, really fast receiver. Um, somebody that I looked a little bit at in the draft uh, when he came out. I think he went undrafted ultimately, but he's uh, a burner. He, he's got okay hands. I think his hands are passable. He played a lot inside the formation, uh, can take the top off. He was returning kickoffs today a little bit in practice as well. So just another guy with some speed. I don't think it means absolutely anything whatsoever uh, about the Patriots outlook at wide receiver, right? Like they're not going to say, Oh, we signed Marvin Hall. So now we don't have to trade for Julio. If that's really in, in the cards, right. If that's really on the table, uh, but a, a nice uh, guy to bring in this time of year, just to kind of give him a tryout. Yeah. I, he, um, you know, he's a, he's a guy you bring in and maybe a guy they feel like having somebody that fast on the practice squad is good for, yeah. you know, uh, uh, scouting things and, right now that they have, it sounds like there's a report yesterday that the practice squad rules from last year are probably going to carry over. So, you know, you look at, he's a guy who might have some value on the scout team. You bring him in now, you stash him on the practice squad. Uh, Washington sneakily becoming a, a little bit of a feeder school here. You got yeah. Miles Bryant, uh, uh, Danny Shelton a couple of years ago. Who was the other receiver last year who popped during camp and was on the practice squad from Washington? Um, yeah, he was know. buddies with Miles Bryant. You were going to write something about that. Oh, Devin Ross. Devin Ross, right. Yeah. I think he was – was he a Washington guy? I thought he was. But um, they they seem to – oh, no, he was Colorado. There was another yeah. – I can't remember who it was. There was another Washington receiver, too, with Bryant because I remember they brought another Washington guy in, and they both wore five in college. That was like the tie. But uh, Chris Peterson's retired right now. He's retired. We'll see if he stays retired. He's only 56. But, you know, just the reason I bring it up is you start seeing them kind of gravitate towards a program. And, uh, you know, again, Peterson retired this 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 past season was his first season out with the team. And Hall had been with Washington for, you know, a couple of years ago. He's been in the league a couple of years. So if Chris Peterson ever gets a job again, whatever school that is, maybe we start, you know, paying closer attention there in terms of Patriots draft prospects. That That was my initial thought. Once you get more than like three guys, four guys from a school on the roster, I look at the head coach and say, okay. There's something here. Bill likes these guys. Let's keep an eye on it. So 
a very Chris Pearson runs a very NFL type program, right? And, and it's a very NFL type passing system and coverage system that they run at the University of Washington. So it, it's that's I think what attracts them to it. You know, Miles Bryant was basically the Patrick Chung of the Washington defense when he was there. And he's playing man-to-man against tight ends, he's playing in the slot. He's doing some of the things in zone defense in the middle of the field that the Patriots like to do. So just a very sophisticated, professional passing system and coverage system that Chris Peterson's teams typically run. With Marvin Hall, though, uh, he's somebody that in that draft process, I think it was the 2018 draft, I want to say, that that he was uh, in technically. I think he went undrafted, like I said. But in 2018, uh, he was one of 17. 16. 16. Is he that old? Hey, he's 28, but yeah, he's 2016 undrafted. Yep. Man, okay. I might these years start to kind of combine together sometimes on you. Uh, I remember him being sort of like that, that Twitter darling receiver, right? All the, all the us Twitter scouts like thought that he was going to pop and be somebody on day three that you could steal because he, he runs really well. Uh, and that really popped in his college tape was his ability to run and, uh, and stretch the field and also get open and create with the ball in his hands a little bit too. So uh, there are some elements to him. If you go watch, watch him at uh, Washington, uh, you'll see a a pretty productive receiver there and somebody that can definitely run. So this time of year signing like this, it's a total flyer. It's a total dart throw. Uh, The odds that Marvin Hall becomes anything or is any, has any sort of impact on this team are are still long. And, And like I said, when we started talking about Marvin Hall, uh, do not think for one second that this has anything to do uh, with any other moves the Patriots might make. No, they're not going to. They're, they're not going to move on from you know the Julio Jones pursuit, for instance. Uh, right. Andre Baselia was the other one, by the way. Okay, was yeah, the yeah. I was thinking of. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I Marvin Hall to me is is a guy that you know in a perfect world they get him on the practice squad. If, like maybe he makes the team. I'm not saying he can't. Yeah, uh, especially if Nikhil Harry ultimately gets moved at some point. You know as a fifth receiver, but I think he's a guy they like for the practice squad. They like for the scout team and he's available now. Grab him now. Don't wait. If you like him, don't wait. Don't let him sit there. Cause somebody else will sign him. Nikhil Harry, not a practice today, which I thought was, was, is, and, was he there last week or not? He was there last he week. He was there last week. And okay. uh, he wasn't there today. I don't know if it was injury related or, or what uh, he wasn't there, um, which I thought was noteworthy. Ramondre Stevenson's dealing with something, which is not great. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I, Ivan Fear said that he's he's working through a couple things. Yes, I think was the exact yeah. quote, working through a couple things. Yeah. Um, real quick with Harry though, and this kind of struck me today. I didn't realize it till after. You 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 watch these receivers today, and in you know the top end guys, right? Myers, Aguilar, Bourne, but even some of the guys further down on the roster, Christian Wilkerson, Isaiah Zuber, and the Patriots seem to have a new type. These are all smaller guys who, who with, with impeccable footwork, they get in and out of cuts quick. They're shift. They're not necessarily fast. I mean, Aguilar's fast, but yeah. they're not necessarily fast. But they're quick. They're shifty. Nikhil Harry sticks out like a sore thumb, right? Yeah. He's a guinea pig among hamsters in in, in this group. Where yeah. if if he were to go out and try to win, right, 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 win routes the way that the rest of the receivers on the roster are trying to win routes, it's just not his game. He's not going to be able to do it. Now that that doesn't necessarily work against him because you want as many different types of receivers as possible. You want to first receiving group. It allows you to do more offensively, but you know, they seem to be trending in this one direction. They seem to have a type now and I correct me if I'm wrong. Like maybe I'm not thinking of somebody, but Nikhil Harry seems like the only receiver on the roster. Who's not in that type. 
Yeah, he's definitely the slowest receiver on the roster. Even I, maybe unless Jacoby Myers, I guess you could you could say is in that category too potentially. But the way right. I, I feel about Harry is that the role for him is to be that big bodied receiver that goes up and catches the ball above the rim. And they just signed two tight ends that do that. Right. So where, where does he fit into this entire equation continues to be a little bit of a, a difficult thing to evaluate currently, honestly, because it just seems to me like if you're going to throw a jump ball or you're going to throw a back shoulder, or you're going to throw something up the field to, to kind of give a guy a shot on a pass, you're going to do it to Johnny Smith. You're going to do it to Hunter Henry. Uh, those are your red zone targets as well. Like those guys are going to be big right. featured red zone guys. I, I don't know. It just, it's hard to see where Nikhil fits into this equation now. And, and the Patriots haven't had Johnny out there yet. So that's a big part of it too, is that today they actually had, uh, we're running some, some 12 personnel with Hunter Henry, just to kind of get Hunter Henry used to running 12 personnel. I think, you know, it, it was uh it was like Devin Asiasi out there with him or, or Lacoste out there with him or whatever. Obviously it's going to be Johnny when the time comes. So, Sorry, go ahead. One point off this when you're done. No, no, I'm just saying to wrap that up. It's just, to me, it, it, it's just hard to find the snaps for Nikhil Harry if they're going to go with size at the tight end position and they're going to play. That's going to be their two big guys that aren't necessarily burners down the field, right? Hunter Henry right. And, and Johnny Smith are not four four burners. So those are the guys that are going to be the big bodied four six guys. It's just hard to envision a role for Nikhil Harry right now. Well, this is what I've been saying, right? You don't. The Patriots don't need another wide receiver as much as people are clamoring for it. They don't. They don't need one because they don't have room for one. Yeah. If they're going to add one, he has to be the number one receiver on the depth chart. Julio right. Jones is the only guy that makes sense. Like, get out of here with the Golden Tates and all that. Like, yeah. Golden Tates a fine player, but I don't know that he's better than Nelson Aguilar at this point. So, what are you doing? The, the one point I wanted to make, it was kind of funny. Matt Lacoste had a solid day today. I actually thought he looked pretty good, and he, I don't know he, that it's... He's fine. You know, he's better, in my opinion, in a lot of ways than Asiasi and Keen are, but he just doesn't have the potential and the upside. As right. You guys. I, I don't know what it ultimately means. Like, maybe there's a trade somewhere down the road with him, but uh, it was just kind of funny because you watch him have a – I don't know that I've ever been more sure that a guy that talented isn't making the team. Yeah. So, oh, I just – I don't know. I was watching. I was like, oh, good for Malakos. Hopefully, you know, some other team is seeing this. What did what, you think about Gunner? Did, did, did he uh, I didn't your fancy some more? I just, just, I, the way I was looking, I didn't watch a ton of Gunner today, believe it or what? not. What? I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't know. Just the, the way, the, where my eyes were and everything. I, I mean, I, I was focused on the quarterbacks a ton. Uh, yeah. I tried to watch. I really wanted to watch defense today. And they were just on the backfield and they were so hard to see. Uh, I watched a lot of Hunter Henry. I was excited to kind of see him in person. See, I My goal today, really, because I wasn't there last week, there's a lot of players, and I mentioned this earlier in the show. I mentioned in my notebook on 985thesportshub.com. There's some traits with some players that just you have to see them in person to appreciate. You you can't see them on film. It's either it's so minute or it's just so detailed that you can't pick it up without your own eyes. Nelson Aguilar's speed, right, is one of them. It's different in person. So I just try to watch as many of the new guys as I can and see, you know, is there something that I have to be here to see that the camera's not going to show me. I, I I feel like I got a pretty good grasp on the player that Gunner is, right? So that's just kind of where that went. 
Um, you know, I was trying to see Jalen Mills, Henry Anderson, even Van Noy a little bit like, Hey, is he doing anything different now? Like, did he pick up anything in Miami that he's added to his toolbox, things like that. And, uh, you know, Anderson, like I said, stood out was one of them. Van Noy looks like Van Noy, which is not a bad thing at all. Uh, you know, I watched Kendrick Bourne a little bit kind of closely following him. Uh, but that, you know, that, that's what I watched on a day like today where it was, I know it was the second practice, but my first practice, let me see the new guys. Let me see what the tape didn't show me that I need to know. That's how I attacked a practice like today. Yeah. Bourne is an interesting one because he's definitely not an OTA receiver, right? Nope. Like he, he doesn't run very well. Uh, he's not super electric. He's not super shifty. Like so, somebody like JJ Taylor is an OTA type of player, right? You can't touch him. He's shifty. He's fast. He's quick. Uh, you know, that's a guy that you can see that, that those types of explosive movements really stand out. Kendrick board is more a guy that we're going to see, I think more and more when the pads come on, but he does look like a really smart receiver. Uh, so, somebody that kind of fits the bill of what we expected with the scouting report out of San Francisco. Uh, he's pretty much a look like that guy. Well, he's scrappy too. And that's the thing. Yeah. He's a guy that's going to do a lot in terms of, you know, fighting off defenders, fighting for yards after contact. And there yeah. isn't any of that right now. So you can't, it's tough. it's tough. The things he does well, you need contact to see and you need yeah. full speed to see. And there's just, neither of those are happening right now. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, that, that about does it. Uh, the chat right now is discussing Cam Newton as potentially playing tight end, <laughs> which is just guys. He, he had a hell of a catch today. Yeah, a hell of a catch. But yeah, it's not going to happen. Come on. Let's do we want to take a question weird. or two? We could take a question or two. Or, we, could do a, we could do a Bruins minute. I think we need to do a, I think we need to do a Boston sports minute because it's not we, just there's Bruins, a lot of heads there's a big, I mean, we haven't done a show since Wednesday when I know. the Celtics. So I that, that might saying. be the way to go. All right. Let's do a Boston sports minute. People are, pe- the people want it. I know it. All right. But uh, <laughs> maybe I have no idea. Uh, let, let's start with the Bruins. Brad Marchand scores from like the most ridiculous angle I've ever seen. I didn't even know it went in every, you know, we're, we're sitting there watching the game and uh, the celebration, of the Bruins players, Marchand, Bergeron, that's yep. what gave it away that it actually went in. So uh, just a heck of a, of a gutsy performance. Uh, I don't want to hear it anymore about Tuka Rask. All right. Tuka is just fine. Screw, screw NBC for not making him one of the three stars last night. Varla, Varlamov was, and he had 39 oh saves, God. but I'm sorry. You don't make the losing goalie one of the three stars and not put the winning goalie on there. Should have been Rask, one, and then Varlamov and, and Marshawn, two and three. Should've I don't been. even know if Varlamov deserved to be in there. Man, he, made, he made 39 saves. He was good. He was, he was solid. Tuka's awesome, though. I just think it's so crazy that we're still having that conversation. And uh, good go Bruins. I mean, that that's a, a gutsy performance on the road after losing one on your own ice to come yeah. out and, and grind one out like that. Uh, it was extremely impressive. They, Taylor Hall is like, can Taylor Hall buy a goal right now other than that empty netter? Because well, he, he did. I mean, he had everything but the finish on that goal. I mean, yeah. he was incredible. I, I just yeah. thought as, as a whole last night, they should have won game two. They yeah. were the better team for the majority of game two, and they lost it on a stupid mistake. I don't know that they should have won last night. I, I mean, they were the better team for parts, but they, they were getting their butts kicked in overtime. Rask bailed them out over and over again, and this is what they needed. It can be demoralizing to lose a game you, you should win, and that's right. what I was worried about. You have that demoralizing loss. You go on the road that's tough, uh, and they flipped the script last night. They totally flipped the script. They stole a game. They stole a game that, you know, Rask playing well aside, I don't know that they deserve to win, so that's very encouraging. I Did I text you? I texted somebody 
uh, after one, one, it wasn't overtime yet, but I texted somebody next goal wins the series. Yeah. And then the next goal was ultimately the overtime goal. So I, you know, it just great series. Great. I, I, I yeah. hate that. It's an off night tonight. I really do. I just, I need more. Yeah. It's a great series. And uh, Bill Belichick was asked by Phil Perry this morning yes. about Brad Stevens's transition from head coach to the front office. Uh, this one to me has at first, when I first heard the news, I was like, all right, they needed a shakeup. Uh, they got a shakeup. Danny Ainge, I think, had run its course. I think Danny Ainge was a great general manager for the Celtics. I, I think he's going to be uh, uh, known as a great general manager from the Celtics. Did a lot of things right. But it just kind of felt like it had, it had run its course a little bit with Danny and Brad as sort of the coach GM brain trust in Boston. And then uh, I sort of sold myself on it. But then I took a step back and was like, is Brad Stevens like, why aren't we having Brad Stevens coach and bringing a new GM and like, what's going on here. And now this sort of spells to me, like it has a chance to be an absolute disaster. Yeah. Jeff Goodman said yesterday on Solak and Bertrand that he thinks Stevens is back coaching within a year, not necessarily with the Celtics, but he's yeah. going to get the itch. And I kind of agree with that, right? He's a, he's a, a hoop head. He's an X's and O's guy. I don't know that he wants to do some of the front office stuff to me that the success of this move, if it's going to succeed, if Stevens says, uh, it hinges on two people. And one is Mike Zarin, who's the assistant GM, has been the assistant GM, is, you know, he's the business whiz. He's a guy who who knows analytics. He knows how to structure contracts, things like that. All the stuff Brad's never done. Brad's evaluated talent. He hasn't done it a ton at the NBA level in that sense, but he's evaluated talent. He knows how to build a team. But when it comes to wording the contracts, when it comes to, you know, scheduling practices and things like that, building the staff around him, this is all very new to him. Mike Zarin's been a pro. Now, Mike Zarin might feel like he was passed over. He really yeah. was Ainge's number two. As much as we talk about Brad and Danny, Mike Zarin was the real number two. So you hope Mike Zarin stays because I think he's crucial. I think really what would be smart is because president basketball operations and GM are, are really two different jobs, right? And, and the Red Sox did this with Dave Dombrowski and some other guy whose name I don't remember. But Dombrowski was the president of baseball operations. He His job it's, it's was basically Cam Neely, Don Sweeney. Right. So that's a better one. Thank you. Yeah. That. So basically Brad's yeah. job is to identify the players and say, go get me that guy. And then Mike Zarin figures out or whoever the assistant GM is figures out or the GM in this case figures out how to make it happen. I think mm -hmm. that would be the best way to go about it. The other person this hinges on is the new coach. And I think they absolutely need to hit on the coaching hiring. There's a report today. They want to interview Jason Kidd. No, thank you. Guy's a disaster. My lasting memory of Jason Kidd as a coach is his introductory press conference in Milwaukee when he didn't know a single player on the team besides Jamari Parker. Okay. But dodging questions take, about players. He doesn't know. Would you take Jason kid? If it means that you can get Dame Lillard, cause that's the connection, oh, right? I, is that, why is that the connection? Apparently Dame Lillard and Jason kid are tight. Weird. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, so ultimately the number one requirement for a coach is who does, who does Jason Tatum want? If Jason right. Tatum wants Jason kid. And if you're going to tell me that Damian Lillard wants Jason kid, I'll suck it up. But I think former player, I think a guy who's won a title, I think a guy who's won a title in Boston would be huge. Yeah. Uh, I, I look at Sam Cassell is probably my favorite. Or he is that's, my favorite. I really, I yeah. really like Sam Cassell. Uh, Chauncey Billups is an interesting one, although he's only been an assistant coach for one year. So that gives me some pause. And I think Carol Lawson's an interesting name because yeah. the players really like her. They respond to her. They talked about earlier this year, what a big loss it was when she left for Duke. I don't know that she'd leave Duke. I imagine the money's much better in the NBA. So who knows, but th those are, if they hire one of those three Cassell Billups or, or Lawson, I think there's pros and cons with each of them. 
Uh, I, I'm not necessarily going to rank them because I think it, it, you know, it depends on what you what you prefer. But if they hire one of those three, I think they're fine. But you know, if if Damian Lillard's going, if Jason Kidd's going to get me Damian Lillard, yeah, sure. I like Sam Cassell. I, 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 think I do that's too. A good one. He's a really smart player. He's that, that crafty player at the end of his career that came here in 08 and basically won like the old YMCA way, you know, like just right. being crafty and smart and, and heads up player and was nowhere near the athlete that he was in the beginning of his career. So yeah, I, I like Sam Cassell. I, I think that that would be my, my pick. Uh, not that anybody cares, but that would be the opinion that I would have. But Alex and I are going to be back talking Patriots uh, on Tuesday's show next week. On Thursday of next week, there's another OTA practice for the Patriots open to the media and then mandatory minicamp the following week. So we're right in the middle of the uh, of the offseason program, the spring practice circuit for the Patriots is uh, really exciting. You kind of forget that this exists almost like after the draft, you think of this like long lull until training camp starts. But there is this kind of uh, fun, uh, you know, non-padded, but still pretty competitive session here that we have the next couple of weeks. So Alex and I will be back on the Tuesday show to preview what's to come next week uh, with OTAs and mandatory mini camp the following week. And then we'll be back on Thursday's show uh, to recap everything that we saw out at practice on Thursday. But uh, for everybody listening, everybody chatting, we really appreciate you guys uh, spending this uh, Friday evening with us. And we'll be back on the show on Tuesday. So for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. See you guys then. And thanks for watching.